Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Be The Wolf. We're going to talk about happy accidents. I am here with humor and mental health expert Leanne Joshaway. Wait, Joshaway, Dashaway, Joshaway, Joshaway. <laughs> so she told me, yeah, she told me a little thing about the reindeer song to, and how that's a good way to help remember her last name. Do you want to share that real quick with the audience so that we ingrain your name into their brains? <laughs> it's just, you know, from the night before Christmas where Santa says, dash, dash away, dash away, dash away all. Well, my name is not Joshaway, so it's Joshaway, Joshaway, Joshaway. Joshua it all. might even be more confusing, but I like it. <laughs> well, I just love the idea that I'm already thinking of Santa Claus and good times with you. <laughs> <laughs> if our noses get red later, we'll know why. <laughs> okay. Um, so you are a humor and mental health expert. And that probably is like, what the hell is that for a lot of people? Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you actually do? Oh, well, you know, it depends day to day. But basically, I have been for the past 28 years, even though I'm only 37. <laughs> I started in utero. Um, I have worked with organizations and disorganizations on how to use laughter and play as tools for their employee to employees to manage their stress and deal with conflict and change. Um, those are the primary issues that I've, I've talked around. I have also written 28 books, many of them dealing with um, stress in particular, anxiety and depression and how to apply laughter and play to those to try not to get into that pit of despair that a lot of times we get into if we're not experiencing enough fun in our lives. And as adults, we have so many voices that say, grow up, get serious, act your age, that's not funny. And so we have to battle those in order to be able to manage our stress using our sense of humor. Yes, and play, yeah. Yeah, and play and joy and laughter is so incredibly important. You can't be serious all the time. And, you know, everybody, so many of my clients come to me and they're like, I just want to be happy. <laughs> so you can start by laughing a little. Loosen up. 
Right. And, and you know, that's one of the things that I talk about a lot in my presentations is the average American five-year-old child laughs between 150 and 200 times a day. And the average adult is lucky to get 15. Wow. And if you consider that laughter, and we can talk about this a little bit, that laughter is a survival tool and we're doing it so very infrequently, we really need to be more in touch with that inner child that understood the, the value of silliness and nonsense and just expressing yourself through laughter and play. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, you know, when you have those days where every single thing goes wrong and you get stacked up. This thing went wrong. Oh, this was horrible. This was horrible. And there comes this breaking point when it's like, oh, well, what next is going to go wrong? And it starts to become hilarious. And that at that point, you sort of let go of the stress of it and you start to roll with it and you have a good time. But it takes most adults like 10 items. One of the things I talk about is if you wait too long to find the laughter, you're actually causing yourself more physiological and mental damage. And so the goal is to what can I do to not wait so long? I always say that the amount of time between when something moderately stressful, so like your camera doesn't work, since that was my experience last week, the amount of time between when that happens and when you can laugh at it is the amount of time you choose to be miserable. Because there's nothing inherently stressful about it other than you've got to fix it. And, you know, we need to save our stress for things that are truly stressful. Like if you're living in Florida in a hurricane, that's a real stressor. It's not a real stressor if you can't find your brand of coffee. But a lot of us tend to treat those things the same. And they're just yeah. Not. Yeah. I mean, and I could go on for hours about what's happening in the unconscious mind and all of that and all the triggers and the anchors in your nervous system and blah, 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 all this stuff that I help <laughs> my clients unwind. <laughs> But I want to get to how you became the wolf, how you landed and found your way into this unusual career. And it started by accident. I know this. So tell us, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you found comedy and humor. Okay, so I was the director of a wellness program for a major university, and I'd been there for 10 years, and I, if you know what wellness is, you know it's basically you need to eat better, you need to get more exercise, you need to take care of your mental health. It's the same message all the time, and I'd been doing it for 10 years to the same people, so I was getting a little bored. I was also getting a little divorced. It was my first divorce, and so I was a little stressed. So I went to, to therapy twice because that's all my HMO would cover. And my therapist said, you need to learn how to have fun. And that was like a real eye-opener for me because my parents got divorced when I was young, and I had to be mom in between stepmothers, and so I grew up really fast. And so when she said, you need to learn how to have fun, I thought, I don't know how to do that. And so I got a community college catalog and I said, I will just randomly choose a class and I will take it because I didn't trust myself. 
I would have chosen a class like statistics because I love math, but that wouldn't be, bring me joy, probably. And so I just went randomly and I landed on a stand-up comedy class. But I took the class and it changed everything because I discovered that if you can take a headline, which is what we were doing, and find comedy in that, that you could take your life and find comedy in that. And so I immediately started doing stand-up, and I also took those comedy skills into my job. And so I started using comedy as an approach to getting people to exercise more. We made our messaging funny. We created a troop of people. There was a group on Saturday Night Live a long time ago called the Whiners. I don't know if anybody remembers them. But they would whine. It's like, yeah, I got diverticulitis. And so we would go like from school to school and whine about, I can't exercise, I sweat when I exercise. And we took everybody's complaints and we verbalized them in a funny way. And it increased our participation in all of our programs significantly because most people want to hear a message that has some humor to it. And so that was the first happy accident. One of the things that really stands out, and I think this is, do you remember how old you were when you were just randomly picking that class? 32, 32. So I think this is a very common thing for a lot of people is not trusting themselves. And you said you didn't trust yourself enough to find something fun because it was something you had never known. And I think that's such a big piece of if we're going to go outside the box of what it is that we grew up with, what it is that we've seen in our life, the models that have been presented to us, you, you've got to trust yourself. And so I love that you chose to like, well, I don't trust myself. So we're <laughs> just going to leave it up to the gods. <laughs> Close well, my I, eyes and and I I tell focus. people I tell people that in high school I wasn't voted class clown. Had there been such a category, I would have been voted most likely to depress people because my role models were Sylvia Plath and Edgar Allan Poe. So it was really a jump for me. But the thing I'm proud of is that once I discovered that I was kind of good at it, I did make the leap. It was like okay. I, the reason I didn't know that I had this in me is that nobody had ever shown me this path. And now that I see this path, I know that I can do something with it. And so then I accidentally bought a house on the other side of the country <laughs> and gave myself a year to create some kind of career out of nothing. And it worked. It um, it's been the most fulfilled, you know, I, I hadn't had a whole lot of career experience prior. I had the 12 years at the university and I liked that career until it got boring and until I got a boss who did not at all honor my creative spirit. <laughs> I think some people out there listening and watching can totally <laughs> relate to that. Right. Uh, and was a female and he didn't like that either. So... Uh. I was the only female department head that did not sit well with him. So there was a little pressure on that end, but so moved across the country and decided I would, 
you know, so I started writing jokes for a joke writing service and I started doing funny greeting cards and then I started doing keynotes and the first humorous keynote I ever did, I did for free at a major conference and it just lit a fire. And people started hiring me and was like, okay, I think this might be it. And it's funny because I knew I had the speaking chops because I was a debater and persuasive speaker in middle school and high school. But I had never tried to be funny. I was very serious, um, all about the facts. You know, let's get the facts out. And what I realize now is you can get the facts out with a sense of humor and funny stories that help people access those facts and relate to you so that they accept the message that you're trying to pass along. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And when one of the powerful things about story, especially story that brings emotion, which laughter does, is that your unconscious mind, which is where you actually hold what you know, hold your learnings. When your unconscious mind gets it, it becomes muscle memory. You learn it, you know it, it's integrated within yourself. And one of the ways that it learns and communicates is through story and metaphor. So story is one of the most powerful learning tools there is. And if you slide in some positive emotions on top of that, you're going to have so a much greater retention rate of what you are actually talking about, which is incredibly powerful and totally awesome. One of the things I like to hammer home is that humans laugh for four reasons, the theories of why humans laugh. Uh, but the two primary ones that account for 70% of the reasons that we laugh are called arousal relief and social bonding. And arousal relief is that we naturally process things that are negative, especially if they're minor negatives like frustration and annoyance and confusion and embarrassment. We naturally eventually find those funny. And that is not that is not something that is done by our brain in the moment it's done by our gut and as anybody who studies neurology knows your gut is making decisions their electrical impulses going from your gut to the rest of your body like if you're driving late at night on a foggy road your stomach is actually doing the decision making which is why when you finally stop you get that relaxation of your stomach area so that arousal relief is like if you're watching a horror movie and you laugh for no reason there is a reason and that is it's your body's way of processing the tension and letting it out and then the other one social bonding is we tend to draw people closer to us and this is where the storytelling comes in um when we share laughter with them, we're attracted more to people who share a sense of humor with us. And we also tend to be gravitate towards those people who are laughing at things that we consider funny. And that those two things are 70% of the reasons we laugh. And social bonding humor comes from your heart. It also is not processed as funny. It's like, oh my God, I haven't seen this person in so long. And you just burst out laughing. And there's really nothing funny and I, you know, as a comedian who also does stand up and improv, I know that dividing line because because comedy comes primarily from incongruity, which is theory number three, which is how we take things that go wrong and intentionally find funny in them. But the fact that most of the things we laugh at, we laugh at to survive. 
and to create bonds with people which is vital to survival and i think so many people think of laughter is something that you know we'll do that when we watch a comedian really you get together with your friends and play a game you're going to have a lot more laughter because it's about arousal relief and, and social bonding yeah absolutely so i'm curious as we think about the beginnings of you stepping into comedy you started doing stand-up and i believe that sometimes these obstacles that are in our way are meant to help us open our perspective so that we see outside of what is those things that we know, right? That standard, okay, you go, you do the standard comedy circuit and eventually you become a stand-up comedian. Maybe you'll get on Saturday Night Live and blah, 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 whatever, whatever the standard thing that people would think you would do with comedy. Uh, what got in your way of doing maybe that so-called normal comedy route? Patriarchy. <laughs> the world of stand-up comedy is very male-driven. And it doesn't help that I started doing stand-up in cowboy bars in Texas, <laughs> where people like had not only rifle racks in their cars, but on the backs of their chairs, as I like to say. No, the, the world of stand-up is not the kind of thing that appealed to me. First of all, it's late at night. People are drunk. Um, most people who go to a stand-up comedy show are either looking to hook up with somebody or, you know, drink. And those are two things. I was married at the time, um, and I'm not a big drinker. I have like two drinks a year. So being in bars is just, you know, not something. And back then, everybody smoked. And I had come from the world of wellness, where we created at my university, the first smoke-free campus in 1988. So the whole wow. idea of going and exposing myself to all this secondhand smoke was like, I don't think so. <laughs> so I, I needed to, to find, I still wanted to do it because there is a power in being able to make people laugh on purpose. That feels really good. And it's yeah. a little addicting. And so I also knew that I liked sharing with others. So, you know, I started doing the keynote speaking, but I also started teaching stand-up comedy. I've been teaching stand-up comedy classes for 25 years. Um, and now they're mostly online. So I get to experience people from all over the country, which is really nice. Um, and I, I both teach um, comedy writing for stand-up, and I also teach comedy writing for people who are writing screenplays and novels, because I am a published author, and I have a lot of screenplays myself. It's one of the things I like to dabble in. I made my first short movie right before COVID. <laughs> we were going to debut it right as COVID hit, and so we kept postponing and postponing, and finally we just did a an online debut because otherwise it would have just come out two years later but so i i feel like that helping other people learn how to be funny and also find avenues for being funny that don't necessarily mean you're going to open mics every night of the week right uh, which a lot of stand-up comics do and you know if you have a full-time job and you're out till past midnight because that's how late you got on those two things are not consistent with each other and patriarchy raising its little head again there are very few males who will stay home and tend to the family for their stand-up partner 
Whereas there are a lot of male comics who have wives or girlfriends who actually support them either by raising the family or making money when times are lean. And so um, it, it was imperative to me, I think, that I found a way to make some uh, enough money to feel that I could support myself, which is good because I'm single at this point and, you know, I've had to support myself for the past 14 years. Yay, 14 years of singleness. <laughs> Here's my best single joke. I wish somebody had told me how great it was to be single. For example, like when I make a tray of brownies, I eat a tray of brownies. The same goes for margaritas. They can be hard to drink out of a tray, but if you put your mind to it, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> So you ended up buying a house by accident. So there are yes. a number of things that have just accidentally unfolded in your life. I think this is a valuable thing to notice, take note of, and to allow in one's life because people get so hung up on this is what I have to do and it has to look like this and then this right. and then this and then and and you miss such great opportunities if you've got those blinders on and you have it all figured out of how it's supposed to be and when you do that you miss opportunities you miss opportunities to close your eyes and pick a class you miss you really do i, I mean i i remember i got to interview sarah weddington of roe versus wade that the lawyer wow um, this was years after Roe versus Wade. And, and one of the things she said when I was asking about her career path post the Supreme Court decision was that she always said, left the door open to opportunity. And that just kind of sunk into my subconscious, I think, because I remember being on the plane after. So I accidentally bought a house on vacation with like three <laughs> with three hours before I had to catch a plane back to Houston. And I remember talking to a stranger on the plane, what have I done? I can't live here. I don't know anybody. I don't have a job. And he was very supportive. You know, he says, well, clearly this was what you're meant to do. And it's like, I don't know how he knew that. But it really calmed me down. And I had nine months before I had to move because the people who sold the house were building another house. And in that time, I was able to not only shed all the things I had as responsibilities. I had a lot of responsibilities at my job. In fact, I did my job half time from across the country for six months, something that nobody was doing back then. Now everybody does it, but it, because they couldn't find anybody to do um, the work that I was doing. But in that nine months, I also kind of just started plotting. What is it that I can do that is going to make me be successful now that I have accidentally fallen into a new hole <laughs> and I want to explore what's in here. I know Richard Branson sort of accidentally bought his island. He was going <laughs> island. He was going island shopping, but more as something for fun because that's one of his like high values is fun and learning. Right. And then he and then you know this island was for sale, and he put an offer in, and then they accepted it, and then all of a sudden he had to figure it out. Right. So, <laughs> how did you end up? 
accidentally buying the house? What what, okay. what actually led to that? Because okay. yeah. so my then, my then husband and I um, took a belated honeymoon to the Pacific Northwest. I had lived in Bellevue, Washington for a year, and I kind of wanted to go back. He, however, wanted to move basically into his mother's basement because he was nine years younger than me at the time. Well, he's still nine years younger than me, but now he's an older guy. Um, and that was not going to happen. I was not going to move to Indiana. Sorry, Indiana, I just can't move to you. I, am, I need a mountain uh, and I need an ocean. And I wasn't getting that from Houston either. And so we went to Seattle. We drove to Portland, which was on the plan. And then we went down the Coast Highway, which is also on the plan. But we had to get back to I-5 to get to the airport. And we had like 10 hours. And so one of the ways to do that is to go through Eugene, which is where I live. And Eugene was not even on our itinerary. So we basically accidentally ended up in Eugene and we had like eight hours. And we're just driving around and we saw this house that had a, a creek in the backyard. And I've always wanted a creek. And they had a for sale sign. And I said, well, let's just, you know, on a goof, let's just call the realtor. She probably won't even come. She was there in like five minutes. We looked at the house. It was really not much to it's this house which is much better because i have fixed it up but it was not much to look at but it was on a creek and i wasn't going to have to live with my mother-in-law in the basement so there were some precipitating factors and i managed to talk my husband into signing an offer before we had to hit i-5 to get back to the airport so we had like three hours before our flight was leaving when we signed an offer and then about two weeks later, we got the house. Wow. <laughs> and you know, this is one thing people going back to that need for play and that need for fun is somebody else that might have been like, well, more stuffy, maybe like your old you might have been like, well, we have to just, let's go to the airport and sit there or go to a restaurant right nearby and da da da. But instead you were open to having fun and playing. And what I've seen time and time again is the best opportunities happen when you're not expecting them, when you are just living your life, feeling good, having natural, normal connections with people, not these forced things like I have to go to this networking event and I have to um, make sure that I talk to that person and that person over there instead of just enjoying yourself and letting yourself be the free you that you actually are. Well, and that's what I talk about of being your playful self, because we have that in us. That's the way most of us were as children. One of the reasons that children laugh so much is at novelty. So when something new happens in their life, they laugh at it, even though we would judge it as not funny. Uh, if you see me keep looking down, I have a little... I have a puppy here who makes me laugh all the time, who is insisting that I say hello to him. So I've been scratching his head, trying to keep him off of my lap. But <laughs> that, that inner playful child is open to novelty and open to difference in plans. Whereas adults, we fear that. that. That tends to be one of our biggest fears is we have our agenda planned out and we must stick to it. 
Um, and I think you're absolutely right. It's when you're just open to the universe and and playful with the things that the universe might offer up to you because the universe offers up some strange stuff that could be absolutely where you need to go. Absolutely. It's funny. I think about my own childhood and I, you know, I had a pretty major traumatic event happen when I was four and a half years old and it shut down my joy. And I don't remember for the most part, I was super serious after that. And when I finally started remembering time before that, when I was able to sort of heal some of that trauma and access some of the time before that. And I remember this moment where I felt this unbridled joy. And I was like, that is what I'm trying to return to. And, you know, it's exactly the same with me because now that, you know, so my parents got divorced when I was seven and then my mom got remarried four more times and my dad got remarried three more times and we kept having new people introduced. And I felt like I had to be not only the mother figure in between because my mom left. And so we were raised by my father, but I was the, the, uh, the most the oldest girl. So I was mother in between that. And also I felt like I had to kind of be the one in charge of making sure all the new people got along with one another because, you know, here's three more siblings we're now related to this year that will probably be gone in two years, but let's all try to enjoy each other. So it was very, I was very, very serious. And so it came as a delightful, um, reaction to me that I even had any of that joy left in me and I had so much <laughs> that repression I think doesn't that joy that you're that you're subconsciously repressing because of a traumatic life event I think it's all there and you just need to uncork it and yeah. maybe you're not going to uncork it yourself because you don't know how but if you're open to life letting something in to uncork it for you it's going to be so much better the the choices that lay before you if you do it that way yeah being able to access that part of you it is uh one of our gifts is to have a full range of emotion and i think because so many people learn to stuff their emotions and they numb their emotions with tv with alcohol with checking out and like dissociating all kinds of things. I mean, the list, the laundry list of ways that we avoid our emotions is right. Like, <laughs> well, is and if you if you think about psychology, so the field of psychology has studied mostly just the negative emotions. Right. I, I think the last time I looked, it was like ninety three percent of all psychological studies have been on negative emotions. Imagine if they studied what is it that makes people who can experience joy and feel gratitude and share those things with other people and and just be that light in other people's life. If you if we study what makes them tick and how we can access more of that, I think we would there's this you know, there's this feeling a lot in the psychological community that if you laugh too much, you're hiding your pain. A lot of us are processing our pain and we're doing it in a way that is is maybe not culturally acceptable as some other ways of processing pain, but it's very valuable and it it 
exposes us to more of the playfulness and joy that life has to bring us. I remember I was teaching a seminar for seniors, not high school seniors, people who are older. And it was a four-week class, and this woman kind of dragged her husband to it. And every day he was wearing gray sweat shirt and sweatpants with not even a logo on it, just gray sweats. And he just kept talking about how he was just so depressed. And so on the second week, I said, do you have anything in your wardrobe at all that is not gray? And he said, yeah, I have some Hawaiian shirts, but I haven't worn them in like 20 years. And I said, I would like you to do an experiment and wear a Hawaiian shirt every day until next week when you show up to class and wear one there too. And just let me know how you feel. And he came in and he's like, it was remarkable. People came up to me and said nice things to me because I'm wearing a shirt that made me look like a person they wanted to talk to rather than, you know, an old gray sweat that everybody just kind of sees you blending into the, it can be as easy as that sometimes, just changing your wardrobe. Notice the paint colors on my walls. Everything is bright and happy and everybody who walks in here says two things. One. It is so bright and happy and so you. And two, I wish I were brave enough to do that. And it's like, brave? It takes courage to paint a wall sky blue? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's crazy. So when people depress their emotions, right? What are we actually doing when we're depressed? We're depressing our emotions. But when you do the things that numb or depress or stuff your emotions, it does not, it's, it numbs the joy too. And that's what people don't understand. Like, oh, I feel like crap. So I'm going to have a few couple drinks. I had a terrible day. So I'm going to have a couple drinks or I'm going to zone out and binge watch TV. And what that does is it depresses your joy and your positive emotions too. It's all linked when you're pushing that stuff down. Right. And, you know, what you wear is so indicative of Here, what's going on inside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm wearing like all black today. But <laughs> I'm like, oh, but it's funny. I spent years behind a bar and I would always wear black because my black clothes wouldn't get ruined. Right. And, now that I, you know, not being behind a bar and because I've done so much healing and releasing of the negative emotions and unleashing the joy that I, I want to wear. I'm like, why don't they have this in pink or purple or some other color? I, I'm, I'm not going to go beige. I got a pair. I got a pair of clogs that are lime green and they were in a kid's catalog. So they only had kid sizes. So I called them up and I said, do you have these in adult sizes? Because I don't have small feet. And they didn't, but they knew who did. So I own this pair of lime green clogs now because I wanted them because they were lime green. But I'm, I was the same way. In all the years where I was suppressing my joy, I wore nothing but brown and gray and beige. Things I don't even consider colors. Um, I consider, you know, things like beige to be an expression of a need for help. <laughs> Every time I watch HGTV, I want to do a psychological profile on these people who want everything beige. It's like, you really need to go to therapy. <laughs> 
Oh, there's this little experiment idea that kind of tells people, you know, when people say chin up, like why they say chin up is because your body has a neurological response to where you look. So I would always do this, like close your eyes and picture a beige wall, right? As neutral as you can get. So you close the eyes and picture the beige wall and then still seeing the beige wall in your mind, look down. And you'll notice that the beige wall got even more depressing. <laughs> and then as you still see the beige wall with your eyes closed, like bring your head back up to normal, look at the beige wall in your mind and then look up and you'll notice somehow beige got a little bit happier. It turned pink. <laughs> Honest to God, it turned pink. So there is a reason, you know, if you are like those little things, like you said, like putting on the colorful shirt or walking down the street with your head down. I'm in New York, so we walk everywhere. Um, oh, I'm a walker, so I walk a lot. Yeah. So you see people walking with their head down and people be like, put your head up, chin up. And that comes because it will literally elevate your mood. Yeah, so I have a dog ripping into something, so I'm going to grab, grab the dog. Let's and what he's ripping into is a stuffed dog that I took <laughs> off the counter so it wasn't cluttering up the space behind me. But so I am going to be 66 next month, and I wear my hair in pigtails a lot. <laughs> I have a picture of me when I was like three before all of the joy was sucked out of me where I'm wearing pigtails and I've got overalls and I'm leaning over and I got a big smile on my face. And so one of the things I've suggested to people who feel like they don't have a connection to who they were as a child is find a picture of yourself when you were happy as a kid mm -hmm. and put it in your wallet so that every time you pull out your driver's license or your credit card for something, you see it. And you have that visual reminder. And so I've just taken it to like, I want to dress and look like that person as much as possible. And remarkably, I still think I look like that. But I am delusional. <laughs> <laughs> it helps a little bit to have a little bit of delusion in your life. It's really funny that you talk about that, that picture, you know, before the joy was sucked out of you. I remember one in my own healing journey that you know led me to doing all the things to unwind and heal all the trauma for myself and now i do of course for other people mm -hmm. um but i one of the pivotal moments is i had this like moment of a memory of me being on the front porch drawing some world on paper and i could feel what it felt like to be me before any of the pain i could oh. feel what it felt like to have all the possibilities of the universe of the world at my fingertips and i knew deep down inside who i truly was who i was meant to be and that anything was possible and so I used that memory. I stepped into it over and over and I used it on my path. I mean, my path was long, a long journey of trying all the things to try to feel better and reclaim my joy of it, essentially. But I used that because I remembered 
uh, every time I would do something or try something, did this bring me closer to that feeling or did it take me farther away? So it sort of acted as a light, like a lighthouse, if you will. And so I love that you said, find a picture of you before all the joy was sucked out of you. So as we like near the end, this goes so fast. So if you were going to give your past self, the serious self or anybody that's struggling to find their joy and be open to those happy accidents that can make all the difference in your world, if you were going to give your past self or these people some piece of advice, what would it be? What would you tell them? Well, I think the most important thing is to know what brings you joy now. A lot of us don't even know that, especially True. if we spend most of our time living in suppression of emotion or depression of emotion. So I used to say to people a lot, make a list, make a list of 10 things that are geared. Like there is a place here. It's a, it's a waterfall. I, I do a lot of waterfall walking with my dogs. And there, but this one waterfall just connects and makes, I can't get the smile off of my face. It's just the weirdest thing. There's, there's nothing, you know, there's no people there. I'm not smiling to impress anybody. I just connect so much to this place. So that would be on my list. I have three friends that whenever I don't feel my bubbly self, they are my go-tos because they are the bubbles that I need and I will do the same for them. So you need to make a list of things and usually it's people and experiences. We tend to think that we can get our joy by, I don't know, working hard. It's <laughs> never worked, I don't think, in that serious approach of working hard. But make a list and then just do something on that list every day. Right now, I tell people that you need to have 15 laughs out loud every day. It can't be LOL. That's lying online. That is not laughing. <laughs> lying online. I always write ha 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 because that's like what I actually feel. Like I feel I, the but are you bubble. If, you, if you're not expressing it, you're not actually getting the physiological rush that laughter produces. You're not getting all of the good endorphins and the and all of the good hormones, and you're not getting the the movement of oxygen from your butt back to your brain because it's settled in your butt because you've been sitting <laughs> on it. You've got to actually do what you did, which is throw your head back and laugh. So you need 15 of those. And I also recommend that all adults get 10 minutes every day of play. And I define that is it has to be physical, which means, you know, angry birds, candy crush, those things don't count. It has to make you laugh. So that means golf and tennis, probably not, even though they're physical. It has to be an adventure, meaning you're not so accustomed to doing to it, doing it. It's boring. And last, you have to feel young while you're doing it. So I remember I did a photo shoot, a professional photo shoot for a book cover. And I asked the guy if we could meet on the playground at the school next to me. This is about 15 years ago. I have chronic frozen shoulder issues because I used to be a gymnast and I worked the uneven bars and I just really ruined my shoulders. And I forgot about that. And I got on the, the um, what do you call those? The, the bars. Bar. 
monkey bars. I got on the monkey bars and I hung upside down from my knees. And that's how we did the photo shot, uh, the photo shoot. But then I couldn't get out of it because you basically have to roll for <laughs> your shoulders. And I had like a five-year-old boy up there trying to coach me <laughs> to get down from the monkey bar. And it's like still one of my favorite things to think about because here's this 50-year-old woman who has gotten herself in a predicament that she needs a five-year-old boy to tell her how. It could have been a girl. I wish it had been a girl. But in this case, it was a five-year-old boy telling me how to get out of this predicament. <laughs> I love that. I love but that. Get 10 minutes of play. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, we do that when we have young kids in the house. And we do that. A lot of us do that if we have animals. So I'm really lucky that I have animals that are very playful. Uh, two wiener dogs. That's why I have a stuffed wiener dog that usually sits on my shelf. <laughs> um but one of the things we do naturally when approaching a very young child or a, a smaller animals, we drop to our knees, which physically puts us in the perspective we had when we were about three. Right. And you get more playful when you're on the floor than when you're leaning over and being the adult. Um, so like yeah. when I play toss with my dogs, I often sit on the floor and play toss and then it ends up being tug because we're on the floor, I'm not standing. I'm not in a chair. I'm on the floor with them. Great. Um, okay. So how, what are the things that you offer? What can people hire you for? What are your classes? Tell us all the things about how to get in touch with you and what you <laughs> offer. I usually tell people you can hire me for anything but pole dancing, but that's not really true. <laughs> <laughs> How about monkey bar dancing? <laughs> monkey bar dancing. I, I might need another five-year-old to coach me out of it because I'm even older than I was then. So basically I, I do one-on-one -on -one consultations um, for people trying to find the joy. So that's something that they can hire me to do. I am a um, comedy writing coach and so slash editor. Uh, it's weird to be a comedy editor, but I just finished help, helping a woman who had never written a novel before create the concept for a novel. Talk about a big leap for her. She wanted to write about her family and nobody would believe it because it was so crazy. So I suggested she novelize it and it's worked out wonderfully. So there's that. I also do presentations for groups. Right now, I'm, I'm usually only doing those online unless you happen to be in my town because I, I still don't think air traffic, um, it, air travel is makes much sense. I think we still have a COVID issue. I do have a master's in public health with a minor in epidemiology, and it's not over. I have two friends who just traveled by air and came down with COVID on the way home. So I'm doing that on Zoom. It's working really well. I've done small groups. We did six the other day, and I did one for 1,500 people. So um, to help organizations really get a more joyful um, attitude among the people who are working there and start treating everybody more kindly. That's really what I am into um, helping people do and experience. Love it. And how, where did they find you? So my website is accidentalcomic.com. You can also read a lot of my writings there. You can order my books, but I also, I blogged and wrote, I was the content director and senior editor for the syndrome mag, which was a, feminist humor zine and so there's a lot of my um you can 
hit the links to those articles and so there's a lot you can do there and i am i am totally happy with people emailing me too so if you want to email me and ask me a question my email is lajfun at accidentalcomic.com all right lajfun at accidentalcomic.com Okay, and for those of you that are looking to actually step into who you truly are within your career and your life, it all kind of works together. <laughs> you're looking for that career empowerment or transition, and you're ready to find true career fulfillment, something that fills you up with joy, you can go to my website. You can get the five secrets to switch to a great career, which is at JaneaBarnes.com, G-E-N-E-A-B-A-R-N-E-S.com. And if you're ready to take the leap, you're really ready to actually take action, you can book a call with me and we can discuss what that would look like. And that's at book a call with Janea. Again, that's G-E-N-E-A. So book a call with Janea.com. And Leanne, this time I'm going to say this, this is how yes. I feel about today. This is Tigger. He sits on my desk to remind me to be Tigger. Um, and I feel very connected with you. <laughs> I love jumping it. for joy. Tigger was one of my spirit animals for a long time. And when I used to go to Burning Man, you have like sort of a Burning Man name. And my Burning Man name was Bounce Bounce. <laughs> oh, that's so great. My I have a vanity license plate that is Wag Wag because it reminds me to keep wagging, even though I don't I have a tail. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, Leanne, thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you all next time on Be the Wolf. Thanks, Bye. Janelle. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf. <laughs>